1: com to start winning and away we go episode 218 of the algaldi podcast it is thursday december 30th 2021. Yeah. It is December 30th. We have just two days left in the year 2021. How is 2021 going to be remembered as a year? I feel like 2021 will be remembered as being a better year than 2020 was. 2020 was maybe slash probably the worst year collectively as a society that we have had in a long time. I'm not sure that 2021 has been that much better, but I do feel like 2021 has been better. Uh, I'm not sure what the criteria should be for evaluating a year. We'll have to work on that. Uh, We need a stat for that. Uh, But anyway, I hope that you have had a nice 2021, and I hope that 2022 is better for all of us. Hello and welcome to a Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. I continue to be with you five days a week during this holiday season with each episode out oh so early, each weekday morning, the 6-9 and nine Washington football team on Wednesday was back to practicing for a game. Uh, that game is against the 8-7 and seven Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1. This is a strange time for our Washington football team. First of all, we on Wednesday learned of yet another tragedy related to a Washington football team player. The shooting death of Montez Sweat's brother horrendous news. Uh, It feels right now like it is one bad thing after another for Washington. I'm going to talk about that next segment. But in terms of actual football, this is a strange time for Washington because its season is essentially over when it comes to contending for the playoffs, but not officially over. And actually, a win over the Eagles on Sunday would make things at least somewhat interesting for the final week of the regular season. You also have Ron Rivera openly talking about playing Kyle Allen over Taylor Heineke at quarterback over Washington's final two regular season games, although how and when have not been specified. Uh, I'm going to be getting into all of this in just a bit, including where Washington should be headed with Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen. Will each guy be back with Washington next season? Should each guy be back with Washington Next season, I'll also discuss some notable player availability developments for Washington and Philadelphia for Sunday. Also on the show, total domination by Maryland of Virginia Tech in the Pinstripe Bowl at Yankee Stadium in New York City on Wednesday. I'll give you my thoughts on that. Oh, by the way, another win for a Goldilocks pick. Nine games above five hundred twenty-seven and eighteen on the year, and for the first time. In a long time, we have a Capitals game to talk about. It was a wild game, but it also was a caps win, a five-three win over the Nashville Predators at Capital One Arena on Wednesday night. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at Yahoo.com. Email from Henry on the late great John Madden, off me on Wednesday show, episode 217, talking about how big of a port Madden was in the glory days. Of the Redskins, including me playing a clip of a classic CBS intro for a big 1986 regular season game between the Skins and the New York Giants at RFK Stadium. Writes Henry, Thank you, Al, for sharing the soundbite from the 80s. It certainly did send a chill up my spine, something I have very rarely experienced in the last 29 years. With the passing of Sam Huff and now John Madden, I am reminded of how glorious the Joe Gibbs era was. Set aside, that we had arguably the best football team during that time, which represented the DMV with class and distinction. For every big football game, we had John Madden and Pat Summerall on television. On radio, we had Sonny Jurgensen, Sam Huff, and Frank Herzog. The local sportscasters were George Michael and Glenn Brenner. The Washington Post had Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon. And Ken Beatrice was pioneering sports talk radio. Uh, Henry then says some very nice things about me at the end of the email. Thank you for that email, Henry. Uh, Much appreciated. Yeah, the Washington, D.C. sports media landscape has changed a lot (laughs) since the glory days of the Skins. And I would say in a lot of ways, the media landscape has changed for the better. There's so much more content now. Uh, You have access to so much more information now. So to me, different doesn't mean worse, but different does mean different. And the glory days of the skins, yes, featured local television sportscasters as big stars. You know, George Michael, Glenn Brenner, Steve Buckhans, Frank Herzog. Uh, Those guys were the biggest sports media personalities in the D.C. area during the glory days of the skins. The local television sportscasters were the big machers in terms of sports media personalities in D.C. in the 80s and early 90s. Uh, The glory days of the Skins uh, took place in a time in which newspaper columnists were huge deals. Uh, You know, people, including myself, could not wait to read the next column from, say, Tony Kornheiser. And those days are done. I mean, those days are over. Uh, It is hard to ever see local television sportscasters or newspaper columnists having anywhere near the influence that those people had back in the day. The media landscape has changed too much. Honestly, and I'm not just saying this because of what I do, but the most influential local sports media personalities now are people who host podcasts and radio shows. That to me is the truth. And I'm not saying that to say, oh, look at me, I'm so influential. I'm just saying like, if you say to yourself, okay, who are truly the most influential people in the DC sports media market right now? Uh, To me, those people are people who host talk shows. Those people are talk show hosts in some form. Uh, Email from Dr. Sabah, perhaps the number one fan and supporter of Taylor Heineke out there. I always love hearing from Sabah. Uh, Here we go. Al, I know I haven't emailed you in a while, but that is due to laziness on my part. I have been listening to your awesome podcast daily religiously. I must express my opinion on the Heineke narrative. The Taters. Heineke did not have a good game versus Dallas twice now. Both times our offensive line was mauled by Dallas's defensive line. Heineke was killed almost every play. It's amazing how the guys least likely to succeed, parentheses lowest draft pick slash undrafted, are made to have to succeed under the worst circumstances. Why is it that Deshaun Watson's 4-12 and record last year was not his fault? It was the fault of the team and coaches and general manager and owner. Why is it that Matthew Stafford, who has never won a playoff game, is an elite quarterback and it was Detroit's fault that he didn't succeed for 12 years? He threw three interceptions last week versus Minnesota and still won because his team around him is better. Why is it that Kyler Murray is the first overall pick and is a franchise quarterback, but he has lost three straight games and four out of five, throwing multiple picks, but no one is talking about him as maybe not the answer at quarterback. They are talking about injured-slash-missing players and coaching problems. Even the GOAT, Tom Brady, was shut out versus New Orleans, but Heineke beat Brady. What I'm trying to say is that it seems like when people have made up their minds about a quarterback, they twist and turn all evidence to point in the direction of he is good or bad, depending on their agenda slash narrative. As always, love your podcast. Love your intro. Thanks for listening. Love to hear your comments. Sabah. I love it. Sabah is the best. Sabah is the GOAT. Of Taylor Heineke supporters. She is the Tom Brady of Taylor Heineke supporters. Ain't nobody supporting Tay Tay uh, like Sabah supports Tay Tay. So I would say a few things to all of what Sabah said. Uh, Sabah, you are totally right in saying that people, when they have made up their minds about a quarterback, massage the facts to further that narrative. Heck, that's not just true with quarterbacks. <laughs> that's true with a lot of things in our world right now. There are a number of people who long ago decided that Taylor Heineke wasn't good. Uh, we call those people the Taylor Heineke deniers, the Taylor Heineke haters, the tay haters, the haters. And no matter what Heineke has done, those people have remained steadfast in him not being good and never having even a chance of maybe possibly being good. Taylor Heineke long ago proved the is wrong. Okay. However, the problem is this when Taylor Heineke has been bad, even though there have been plenty of extenuating circumstances for him being bad, uh, he has been really bad. Like the level of his bad has been severe. And when you combine that with the fact that he does have certain physical limitations, the concern is that he isn't going to ever be a consistently great quarterback. What you want is greatness, which includes at least being decent when things around you are not going well. And we too often this season haven't had Heineke being decent when things around him aren't going well. Now, look, the Heineke who was on display in the win over the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday Night Football in week two, and the win at the Atlanta Falcons in week four, and the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in Week 10, and the win at the Carolina Panthers in Week 11. That guy was great, okay? That Heineke played like a franchise quarterback, but there hasn't been enough of that Heineke this season for whatever reason. And when Heineke has been bad, he has been quite bad. Like, he has been frighteningly bad, as we saw in the loss to the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field in Week 5, and in the loss to the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field in Week 14, and in the loss at the Cowboys this past Sunday night. And when it comes to those other quarterbacks who Sabah mentioned, Deshaun Watson, Matthew Stafford, Kyler Murray, Tom Brady, each of those guys has done enough as an NFL quarterback to varying extents to where those guys get a benefit of the doubt that Heineke doesn't get Heineke because he went undrafted, because he had bounced around the NFL, because he was out of the NFL when Washington acquired him because of his physical limitations, has always had to go above and beyond to earn himself true belief that he could be a legitimate starting quarterback in the NFL. And I give Heineke a lot of credit because he, as a Washington quarterback, in some ways has gone above and beyond, but he hasn't gone above and beyond as much as he is needed to. Well, no legal team goes above and beyond like Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. Paulson and Nace fights for the rights and futures of victims and their families throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace has a skilled team of personal injury, birth injury, and medical malpractice trial attorneys that puts your best interests first. Paulson and Nace is a family law firm. The Naces are DMV through and through, big Washington football team fans. Paulson and Nace has decades of experience trying cases to jury verdicts and fighting for those injured through no fault of their own. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. When you are injured because of someone else's negligence, you may experience feelings of anger, anxiety, frustration, choosing the right law firm to help you can be overwhelming. How do you know whom to trust? How do you know that you'll be protected? Well, it's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and NACE. If you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure— Call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family take care of yours So the 6 and 9 Washington football team on Wednesday began the team's practice week for the Sunday afternoon's game against the 8 and 7 Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field at 1 and absent from Washington's practice was Montez Sweat and it turns out that he was absent for a tragic reason. We on Wednesday learned that Montez Sweat's brother Anthony Sweat was killed. In a shooting on Tuesday in Henrico County, Virginia, Anthony Sweat was just 27 years old. Uh, There's not a lot about what happened that we know, just like there's still not a lot that we know about the DeShazer Everett situation. Uh, DeShazer, as you likely know, on December 23rd was the driver in a fatal one car crash in Loudoun County, Virginia, killing the vehicle's passenger, 29 year old Olivia Peters. So, what a last week! for the Washington football team with these tragedies. This was Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon during his post-practice zoom press conference.
2: It, it is rough. And, and, you know, our thoughts and prayers are, are, are with the families and, and, you know, but, but here, you know, when we're here in the facility, we, 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 you know, we try to make sure the players understand that we're here for them. Um, you know, we, we do have a team psychologist and, and a sports psychologist, and she's available as well as, uh, as, as, as not just myself, but the position coaches Coordinators and um and and Malcolm Blacken, who's our director of player development. So, you know, it is tough, and you know, it's something that, you know, each guy will handle individually and 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 at the same time, you know, like I said, we're there for them.
1: Yeah, remember Washington this past June 1st announced the hiring of Dr. Barbara Roberts as the team's first full-time director of wellness and clinical services. She has a PhD in psychology. She became just the fourth full-time clinician with a PhD in psychology, working for an NFL franchise, and it sure seems as if Washington has needed the services of Dr. Barbara Roberts this season. Uh, Obviously, thoughts and prayers are with Montez Sweat and his family, but geez, here we are having just had the DeShazer-Everett situation. Now we have this awful news of the shooting death of Montez Sweat's brother. The shooting death of Montez Sweat's brother, to me, is just another terrible non-football development For Washington in its 2021 season. Now, of course, not all of these developments are of equal importance, but consider all that has happened beyond just Washington's games in this 2021 season. Okay, put aside the games, put aside Washington's record. Just consider the following. We on October 4th learned of the Ryan Vermillion scandal. That Washington director of sports medicine and head athletic trainer Ryan Vermillion had been placed on administrative leave off the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, and the Loudoun County Sheriff's Department on October 1st, having conducted searches at Washington's practice facility and at Vermillion's residence. Uh, The situation reportedly has to do with prescription drugs. We, in October and December, had the reigniting of Washington's workplace misconduct scandal. First, with the Washington Post on October 13th reporting that lawyers representing the Washington football team had this past February offered a financial settlement in exchange for the silence of former female team employees who alleged that they were sexually harassed while working for the team. Then we, in October, had the reporting of the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times of leaked emails from Bruce Allen during his time as a Washington executive. Then we, in October, had Congress having questions about Washington's workplace culture scandal via a letter that was sent to NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. Then we had the Washington Post on December 14th detailing Dan Snyder allegedly having worked to disrupt Beth Wilkinson's investigation into workplace misconduct for Washington. Uh, October 17th, the fiasco that was Washington, quote, honoring, end quote, Sean Taylor before and during Washington's 31-13 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field. This included Washington retiring Sean's number 21 jersey. Washington, incredibly, I still can't believe this, didn't announce that it was retiring Sean's number 21 at this game until Thursday morning, October 14th, a mere three days before the game. Also, we had Washington staging that photo op for Sean Taylor's family outside of FedEx Field in front of a bunch of portable toilets. Yes, that happened. Uh, We in December, of course, have had Washington dealing with a massive COVID-19 outbreak fueled by the Omicron variant. We on December 23rd had DeShazer Everett as the driver in a fatal one-car crash in Loudoun County that killed the vehicle's passenger, Olivia Peters. And we now on December 28th have had the shooting death of Montez Sweat's brother, Anthony Sweat. Uh, This has been some season for the Washington football team in terms of so many things beyond the games. And these things that I just went through certainly vary in terms of importance. Some of these things uh, have been self-inflicted, okay? But some of these things have not been self-inflicted. And some of these things have been tragic. I'm not into the whole woe is us thing, but it does sometimes feel, does it not, like there's a dark cloud hovering over the Washington football team. Taylor Heineke on Wednesday afternoon did a post-practice Zoom press conference. Who was Heineke on all of these off-the-field difficulties for Washington this season.
3: It's unfortunate. I'm not going to say that it's affected us because I I, I honestly don't feel that way. But, um, you know, it's just tough. It's tough. You know, every week we feel like we got two or three new guys coming into the facility. So um, we try and do the best we can with what we got.
1: That's all that you can do. And speaking of Taylor Heineke, up next, I'll discuss the possibility of Kyle Allen playing over Taylor Heineke over Washington's final two regular season games off comments from Ron Rivera on Wednesday, including how much does who plays quarterback for Washington over its final two regular season games matter? And what are the futures for Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen with Washington? All right, just two games are left for the Washington football team in its 2021 regular season. Uh, Notice that I said 2021 regular season, not just 2021 season. It still is possible that Washington makes the playoffs. Not probable, but possible. Uh, Washington per 538.com has a 7% chance of making the playoffs. Uh, Washington per Football Outsiders has a 5% chance of of making the playoffs. So yes, there remains a chance, but the chance is low, uh, very low. I, on last Thursday's show, episode 213, said that I wanted one of two extremes for the Washington football team over its final three regular season games. Assuming that Washington finishing the regular season nine and eight was the only way for Washington to make the playoffs this season, I wanted Washington either to win out and make the playoffs or to lose out and get as high of a first-round pick in the 2022 NFL Draft as possible. Well, we are one game into Washington's final three regular season game stretch, and I still feel this way. You know, either win out or lose out. Well, you're not going to be winning out now off the 56-14 loss at the Dallas Cowboys this past Sunday night. So uh, if, in fact, Washington won't be making the playoffs because it now cannot finish the regular season at 9-8, and then, yeah, uh, Washington losing its final two regular season games is what is in the best long-term interest of the franchise. Uh, Washington finishing 7-10 or 8-9 and, and not making the playoffs doesn't do the team much good. Now, if you are looking into your NFL crystal ball and you're telling me that Washington finishing 8-9 would be good enough for Washington to make the playoffs this season, well, then that's a different story. Uh, that would be my preferred scenario for Washington the rest of this regular season. Win these final two regular season games, show that that loss at the Cowboys this past Sunday night, show that the debacle at Dallas was just one bad night as opposed to a sign of much larger problems, and make it so that the team currently known as the Washington football team qualifies for the NFL playoffs in back-to-back seasons for the first time since Washington made three consecutive postseasons for the 1990 through 1992 seasons. Yeah, it's been three decades since Washington made the playoffs in back-to-back seasons. That is pathetic, and yet that is true. But again, Washington making the playoffs at 8-9 is far more unlikely than likely. Seven NFC teams will make the playoffs. Washington is 11th in the NFC. Washington, in fact, has the worst record of the 11 NFC teams that haven't already been eliminated from postseason contention. And so that brings us to Washington's quarterback situation. Ron Rivera, during his day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday afternoon, suggested that Kyle Allen will play over Washington's final two regular season games, but how much and in what capacity were not specified. Remember, Ron, during Sunday night's loss, at the Cowboys bench Taylor Heineke for the entire fourth quarter in favor of Kyle Allen. Uh, Kyle Allen went 8 of 10 for 60, 70 yards, a touchdown, and no interceptions. Took one sack. All of that, of course, came in garbage time. Uh, Taylor Heineke, as we have discussed, has been really bad in each of his last two games. ESPN's total QBR is on a scale of 0 to 100. Heineke's total QBR for Sunday night's loss at the Cowboys was a mere 4.0. Uh, His total QBR for his previous game, the loss to the Cowboys at FedEx Field in week 14, was just 5.4. Now, personally, I don't think that it matters much who plays quarterback for Washington over these final two regular season games. The die has been cast in terms of Washington needing to go hard after a potential franchise quarterback this coming off season. in terms of Heineke's and Allen's futures with Washington, so Heineke is under contract through next season for very little money. Allen is set to be a restricted free agent this off season. I think that Washington should bring back Taylor Heineke for next season to be the QB two, and maybe even the temporary QB one while a rookie quarterback gets ready to start. I also think that Washington should re-sign Kyle Allen, because in this NFL, you need three quarterbacks capable of starting for you, not two. Uh, Washington certainly has learned that lesson many times over the last few seasons. Now, I'm not sure that Kyle Allen wants to be back with Washington next season, given how little he has played this season, and given how Rod Rivera seemingly has soured on Kyle Allen off having been rather high on Kyle Allen Last season, but Allen may not have much of a choice regarding not being with Washington next season unless Washington non tenders Allen this coming off season. Non tendering Allen would make him an unrestricted free agent as opposed to a restricted free agent, but I don't think that Washington should non tender Allen. I would tender him a contract and re sign him as a restricted free agent. I would keep Heinecke, re sign Allen, and draft a quarterback in the first round, assuming that you can take a quarterback who you really like. But if there's intrigue at quarterback for Washington over its final two regular season games, that intrigue does have to do with how much Kyle Allen plays, how does he look, and does he at all make Rod Rivera look bad for not having gone to Allen sooner? This was Rod Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon on why he would play Kyle Allen over Taylor Heineke at this point in the season.
2: Well, the 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 biggest thing, more so than anything else, is again, if if the situation presents itself and allows for it, Kyle will play. And if it doesn't, we'll stick with Taylor. It, it's not necessarily about having to evaluate these guys; it, it's really just about you know giving them a chance to play if the opportunity arises. And and we'll see. I mean, you know, as I said, Taylor's the starter, and and he'll 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 you know he'll play. Um, and if situation calls for it, we'll we'll give Kyle the opportunity to play as well.
1: All right, so two takeaways for me from that answer from Ron Rivera. A, this isn't about evaluating Kyle Allen. Uh, I thought that that was telling. Ron knows what he has in Kyle Allen, and Ron pretty clearly is not in love with what he has in Kyle Allen. Otherwise, we would have seen Kyle Allen much sooner in this 2021 regular season. B, if Taylor Heineke plays well against the Eagles at FedEx Field on Sunday, Uh, Taylor Heineke will play for the entire game. Understand something about the Eagles, by the way. Their pass defense isn't very good. Uh, The Eagles through week 16 are just 21st in the NFL in pass defense for Football Outsiders DVOA metric. Here was Ron on Wednesday on what kind of a situation would result in him benching Taylor Heineke in favor of Kyle Allen.
2: Well, yeah, I don't want to put anything out there like that, but you'll know it. You'll notice it. You'll see it. um, And we'll go from there.
1: You'll know it when you see it. Translation, if Taylor Heineke is woeful this Sunday, like he has been woeful in each of his last two games, Taylor Heineke's getting benched. Tay-Tay is getting benched. What about Taylor Heineke's thoughts on all of this? Ron Rivera on Wednesday on whether he has communicated his thoughts on who plays a quarterback for Washington over its final two regular season games with Heineke.
2: No, t- t- Taylor. Taylor's fine with it. Taylor and I have had the conversation uh, a long time ago and several times, um, and it's. And I think he just he he understands me. I understand him, and and I think that's you know that that's what's important is that he knows what I'm talking about.
1: All right. And as for Taylor Heineke himself, he on Wednesday afternoon did a post practice Zoom press conference. Here was Heineke on Wednesday on his reaction to what Ron Rivera has been saying about potentially playing Kyle Allen over Washington's final two regular season games.
3: Yeah. Um, you know, it is what it is. I, I come in every day again. I just try and get better and, and do my job the best I can. Um, you know, if I, should, if I do that, um, everything has to take care of itself. And if he feels like Kyle's a better option at that point, then, then yeah, okay, then, then that's what it is. But um, again, I, I, I try to control what I can control, and that's just coming in, working hard, and, and going out there and trying to win games.
1: Now, of course, the reason that Ron Rivera is talking about potentially playing Kyle Allen over Washington's final two regular season games is that Taylor Heineke has struggled over his last two games, both of which have been losses to the Cowboys. Uh, Taylor Heineke is down to being just 22nd out of 31 qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR for this season. There's also this. So the most predictive means of evaluating a quarterback for pro football focus is when he has a clean pocket. Taylor Heineke this regular season has had 336 dropbacks when having what PFF has deemed a clean pocket. Taylor Heineke's clean pocket passing grade but this regular season is just 33rd among qualified quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, that's not good. Uh, Heineke per PFF leads all NFL quarterbacks in turnover-worthy plays when having a clean pocket. That's not good. Heineke on Wednesday on what he has learned about himself over his last few starts.
3: Uh, you know, a lot a lot of room to improve. Um and, you know, the biggest thing is that this game's hard. Um, it's hard to beat teams in this league and you got to be on, you know, everyone's got to play, play good for you to have even have a chance. So, um, again, I have to play better. Um, and I I know a lot of guys on the team, offense, defense, special teams, they feel the same way. So, um, again, we, we just try and come to facility every day, get a little bit better and, and go out there and win games.
1: Yeah, Heineke sounds sort of down in these cuts. Uh, you can understand why. He hasn't been good lately, and he knows that his stock has gone down with these recent bad performances. Bad performances that, yes, are due in part to the state of Washington's offense. And this has been the state of Washington's offense for so much of this season, an injury-plagued state. Uh, Logan Thomas, Curtis Samuel, J.D. McKissick, Samuel Cosme, Chase Rulier, Brandon Sheriff, so many significant Washington Offensive players have missed so much time this season. Taylor Heineke on Wednesday on being the starting quarterback for an offense that has been missing so many key guys throughout this season.
3: Yeah, I mean, anybody can sit there and and honestly say, yeah, it hurts when you don't have, you know, your all pro right guard and when you're going on your, you know, fourth string, fifth string center and we don't have Logan Thomas and, yeah, obviously that hurts you, um, and and you want those guys in the game. Um, but at the same time, you know it's a fifty-three man roster, and there's you got you got guys on this on this roster for the sole reason. If those guys go down, do you have enough confidence that you can come in and, and get the job done? So, um, again, we us as players, we try not look at it. I mean, try not let it affect us um, because it, it's part of the game. But at the same time. Um, you know, the reality is, you know, sometimes it, it might it might affect us I and mean, it does hurt when you don't have you know your top guys out there. But again, um, you know, we work hard with, with what we got and uh and and you know, unfortunately, you know, it's been a crazy year.
1: Yes, it has been, and it's a year that isn't ending well for Taylor Heineke, although that can change with him playing well and keeping Kyle Allen off the field over Washington's final two regular season games. All right. So more now on the Washington football team regarding its game this Sunday afternoon against the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field at one. So this will be Washington's final home game of the 2021 regular season. And is there any doubt that FedEx Field will be Lincoln Financial Field South uh, this Sunday? Washington has lost three consecutive games, is six and nine, and only has a very slim chance of making the playoffs. The Eagles have won three consecutive games, are eight and seven, and have a very good chance of making the playoffs. You know, you absolutely know that FedEx Field on Sunday is going to be dominated by Eagles fans. That is as predictable as the sun rising in the East. This was Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon at his post-practice Zoom press conference on Washington's lack of a home field advantage at FedEx Field, with it being consistently taken over by opposing team's fans.
2: Well, the biggest key more so than anything else is to win. I mean, and that's that'll improve it automatically. At least I believe that, Um, you know, but you see the fans there. You do see them getting behind you. It is pretty awesome. Um, but, you know, I get it, you know, and, and until we establish ourselves and hopefully that's what we're working towards. Um, you know, then we'll start to see the the fans come back. But until then, you know, we just got to keep working.
1: Yes, you do. Uh, three Washington players were listed as not practicing on Wednesday. Edge defender Montez Sweat did not practice on Wednesday due to personal reasons off the shooting death of his brother. Corner William Jackson, the third, did not practice on Wednesday due to the calf injury. That had him inactive for Washington's 56-14 loss at the Dallas Cowboys last Sunday night. And right tackle Samuel Cosme did not practice on Wednesday due to illness. Four Washington players were listed as being limited in practice on Wednesday. Receiver Curtis Samuel was limited in practice on Wednesday due to the hamstring injury that has had him as inactive for each of Washington's last two games. Running back Antonio Gibson was limited in practice on Wednesday due to a hip So Gibson now is dealing with a hip ailment of having dealt with shin and toe ailments this season. Man, every five minutes, Antonio Gibson has a new injury. Now, he keeps playing, okay, so he's not missing games here. But geez, every five minutes, this guy has some new injury pop up. Uh, Offensive lineman Sadiq Charles was limited in practice on Wednesday due to an ankle. Uh, Sadiq was Washington's starting right guard for each of the last two games with Brandon Sheriff on the reserve COVID-19 list, but Washington on Monday activated Sheriff off the reserve COVID-19 list. And edge defender James Smith-Williams was limited in practice on Wednesday due to illness. For the Eagles, uh, their two running backs who killed Washington in its loss at Philadelphia in Week 15 did not practice on Wednesday, and one of those running backs is not going to play on Sunday. Miles Sanders did not practice on Wednesday due to a broken hand, and he is not expected to play on Sunday. Jordan Howard did not practice on Wednesday due to a stinger. Also, we do have COVID-19 stuff happening with both Washington and Philly. Uh, Washington's COVID-19 outbreak is essentially over, but I guess not entirely over. Because Washington on Wednesday placed three players on the reserve COVID-19 list. Corner Daryl Roberts, practice squad offensive tackle David Steinmetz, and practice squad interior offensive lineman Bo Uh, If Daryl Roberts being on the reserve COVID-19 list sounds familiar, that's because he was just on the list. Uh, Daryl Roberts was on the reserve COVID-19 list from December 11th to December 14th. He apparently cannot quit being on the reserve COVID-19 list. Now, the Eagles, on their reserve COVID-19 list, have edge defender Derek Barnett. Uh, That's big. But the Eagles, on Wednesday, got back a certain edge defender, who we know well. Uh, The Eagles, on Wednesday, activated multiple players off the reserve COVID-19 list, including our old pal, Ryan Kerrigan, and backup offensive tackle, Andre Dillard. So the Eagles, for Sunday, will have Kerrigan, but he has done next to nothing, this season. Kerrigan has played on just 28.1% of the Eagles defensive snaps. He has no sacks, one tackle for loss, and two quarterback hits. You know, with COVID-19, the NFL does continue to amend its handling of the pandemic. The pandy. As I saw someone on Twitter refer to the pandemic, the pandy. I like that. I think I need to start using that. The pandy, the COVID-19 pandy. Uh we on Tuesday learned that the NFL and the NFL Players Association had reached an agreement to set isolation time at five days for all players who test positive for COVID-19, matching new guidance announced the previous day by the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC. Uh, The agreement includes both vaccinated and unvaccinated players for COVID-19, and is contingent on a player being asymptomatic of COVID-19, or at least demonstrating that his symptoms of COVID-19 are resolving after the five-day period. And I bring all of this up because there has been this narrative from what I like to call the fear mongers in the media mob that what the NFL is doing in its amending of its handling of COVID-19 is irresponsible and is bad for public health and is all about money. Now, no doubt, money is a massive part of all of this, okay? I mean, let's be crystal clear on that. But can we please stop with the crushing Of the NFL because its changes to how the league is handling COVID 19 supposedly are irresponsible and bad for public health. You have people who work in sports media all of a sudden becoming health experts here. There's science, there's plenty of science behind what the NFL is doing. And like I said, the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, on Monday announced new guidance for isolating with COVID 19. I read to you directly. From the CDC's website, cdc.gov, quote, Given what we currently know about COVID-19 and the Omicron variant, CDC is shortening the recommended time for isolation for the public. People with COVID-19 should isolate for five days and if they are asymptomatic or their symptoms are resolving without fever for 24 hours, follow that by five days of wearing a mask when around others to minimize the risk of infecting people they encounter. The change is motivated by science demonstrating that the majority of SARS-CoV-2 transmission occurs early in the course of illness, generally in the one to two days per Prior to onset of symptoms and the two to three days after. End quote. That's science, people. Okay, that's the CDC saying that. So please, enough of the fear mongering, especially from people in my line of work. Okay, the sports media, plenty of whom have scoffed at previous recent changes by the NFL regarding its COVID-19 policy. Uh, changes prompted in no small part by the Washington Football Teams. COVID-19 outbreak. But we have the NFL on December 16th announcing significant changes to the league's COVID-19 testing policy for this season, including this, a player who has been vaccinated for COVID-19 but has tested positive for COVID-19 no longer has to produce two negative tests at least 24 hours apart to be able to come back to practice and play. That player now can come back to practice and play if he just has two negative tests or has a viral load Beneath a certain threshold, the NFL on December 18th announced, quote, a more targeted testing plan, end quote, for COVID-19. The big item in the more targeted testing plan for COVID-19 is that individuals who have been fully vaccinated for COVID-19 and are considered asymptomatic of COVID-19 are no longer to be subjected to weekly testing for COVID-19. Yes, money is a part of all of this. I totally recognize that. But you know what also is a part of all of this? Science. Okay. Now you don't have to agree with these changes. If you don't want to agree with these changes, I personally do agree with these changes. There's science behind the changes and yes, the science can change. But for now, I think that it's really unfair what outlets like say pro football talk and others have done in demonizing what the NFL is doing. I mean, no houseboy am I for the national football league, but fair is fair. And, you know, throughout this pandemic, throughout the pandy, there has been a lot of stuff, okay? And some of this stuff has been politically influenced and some of this stuff has had to do with other things. But it's like, what you want to do, right, is go by the science, go by the facts. And the science and the facts do change. And that's part of what has made this whole thing so darn confusing, okay? But for now, what the NFL is doing isn't irresponsible, isn't reckless, it is rooted in fact. Okay, and if the facts change, then the NFL should change. But for now, I think what the NFL is doing makes sense. All right, let's talk some college football. We had Maryland versus Virginia Tech in the Pinstripe Bowl at Yankee Stadium in New York City on Wednesday. And the result was a home run for the Terrapins. Yes, the Terps homered at Yankee Stadium. Uh, They walloped. The Hokies. The Terps smashed the Hokies. The Terps, as our friend the Iron Sheik would say, made the Hokies humble. Make you humble? Yes, Sheiky. The Terps put the Hokies in the camel clutch and made them humble. Make you humble? Yes, Sheiky, baby. 54-10 was the final. Maryland routed Virginia Tech in the Pinstripe Bowl. Now, the following must be noted. While Maryland for this game was mostly at full strength, Virginia Tech for this game uh, was a shell of what Tech had been in the 2021 regular season. Among the many Hokies who were with the team in the regular season, but did not play in this game. Quarterback Braxton Burmeister, who has entered the NCAA transfer portal. Receiver Tavion Robinson, who has transferred uh, to Kentucky. Uh, And then the following Hokies opted out of the Pinstripe Bowl and are entering the 2022 NFL Draft. Receiver Trey Turner, edge defender Amare Barno, interior defensive lineman Jordan Williams, corner Jermaine Waller. These are some key Hokies who were not playing for Virginia Tech on Wednesday. So to me, if you're a Virginia Tech fan, you really shouldn't care too much about this loss because you were without a truckload of key players and you're going through this transition phase, right? From interim head coach J.C. Price, To new head coach Brent Pry. Pry did not coach tech for this Pinstripe Bowl. Uh, So, to me, if you're a tech fan, it's like, hey, whatever, season's over, onward and upward with Coach Pry, uh, hopefully. But if you're a Maryland fan, like I am, uh, I think that you should be happy, really happy with this win. I am happy with this win. Even though, like I said on Wednesday's show, episode 217, I really was not that invested in the outcome of this game. You know, these non-college football playoff bowl games, these non New Year's Day bowl games really are just pseudo exhibition games. So had Maryland lost this game, I wouldn't have been that angry, but it would have been disappointing. I mean again, the Hokies were without a lot of key players. So to me, the Terps losing this game given all of those Hokies who were out would not have been a great look. And the Terps with this win in the Pinstripe Bowl achieved things that the program had not achieved in years. The Terps with this win reached seven wins in a season for the first time since the 2014 season. Yeah, 2014 was the last time the Terps had gotten to seven wins in a season. I mean, seven wins in a college football season, that's not spectacular. And yet Maryland had not been in that territory since the 2014 season, which was Maryland's first season in the Big Ten and was Randy Edsel's penultimate season as Terps head coach. The Terps with this win in the Pinstripe Bowl, not their first win in a bowl game since Ralph Fregion's final game as Terps head coach, a 51-20 route of East Carolina in the Military Bowl at RFK Stadium in Washington, D.C. on December 29th, 2010. So not since 11 years ago to the day, December 29th, 2010, had the Terps won a bowl game. I mean, if you'd have told me on December 29th, 2010, that that Military Bowl victory for the Terps would be the program's final bowl win until 11 years to the day, December 29th, 2021. Uh, Jeez, that would have been a tough pill to swallow 11 years ago, and yet that's exactly uh, what ended up being the case. Also, the Terps, 54 points in the Pinstripe Bowl, set a school record for most points in a bowl game. Uh, The Terps dominated the game. They averaged 9.1 yards per play held the Hokies to just 3.9 yards per play. Terp's quarterback, Talia Tungavailoa, was outstanding. He went 20 of 24 for 265 yards, two touchdowns and no interceptions. Took no sacks, had four carries for 42 yards. Talia tied the single-season Maryland record for touchdown passes with 26. Uh, How about Terp's senior receiver, Daryl Jones? Four receptions for 111 yards and two touchdowns. This guy, a senior, came into the game with no touchdowns, over 45 career receptions. He wound up with four catches for a buck 11 and two touchdowns. And the Terps had a record-setting play on special teams. Defensive back Tarheeb Still, a 92-yard punt return for a touchdown in the first quarter, setting a record for the longest punt return in Maryland history. The previous record, a 90-yard punt return by the immortal Dick Nolan in October 1953, and a Terps win at Clemson. Dick Nolan was a running back for Maryland, and uh, his record now bye-bye, uh, thanks to what Tarheeb still did in the Pinstripe Bowl. You know, this 2021 Maryland football team was tricky because it got off to a great 4-0 start, then lost 6-7, of 7, including getting destroyed in games against ranked Big Ten teams. And as I have lamented on the podcast, that has been a problem for the Terps since joining the Big Ten, the Terps is getting shredded by ranked Big Ten teams. But the Terps won their regular season finale at Rutgers in blowout fashion to become bowl eligible. And then the Terps won their bowl game in blowout fashion. So this ended up being a step forward season for head coach Mike Loxley and his program. Here was Loxley during his postgame press conference.
4: Um, number one, you know, I can't even put in, you know, to words just how proud I am of this team. You know, as I told the seniors uh, before the game, you know, we'll forever be indebted for those guys because they really have uh, put this thing on a really solid foundation that I think uh, shows the trajectory of what our program can be. Uh, We've come a long way as a program since 2019. Uh, It's been a lot of hard work, hasn't been easy, uh, but these guys have really bought in uh, to what winning football, what you have to do to have winning football, Um, the culture, um, the way you have to work. The habits and behaviors you got to create, you know, to send the singers out with a significant bowl win, a winning season it means the world to me. And and to me, you know, these guys, like I said, I will forever be indebted for the leadership that they've shown. You know, this season was a huge step uh, for our program, but I still believe, again, that the best is ahead. And what today shows, as you saw young players uh, making plays for us, you saw. Our quarterback, again, continue to show the consistency. Our defense stepped up. But it really leads me to believe that the best is ahead for our program. And I'm looking forward to continuing to lead us as we take that next step.
1: Yeah, and there certainly is plenty of work to be done for Maryland football. That Maryland had not had even a seven-win season since the 2014 season is quite an indictment. But the Terps finished their season with seven wins, and hopefully we'll build on that moving forward. Well, it had been a while, a long while, since the Capitals had played a game, but the Caps on Wednesday night played a game, and they won. Uh, it wasn't easy, but they won. The Caps improved to 19-6-7 with a 5-3 win over the Nashville Predators, at Capital-win arena on Wednesday night. Caps now at 45 points on the season, second in the NHL. The Tampa Bay Lightning leads the NHL with 46 points. Uh, The Caps, with this win, snapped the Predators' seven-game winning streak. The Caps blew a three-goal lead. Uh, They led at the first intermission 3-0, then lost the second period 3-0, but the Caps then won the third period 2-0. So the Caps played a game for the first time since a 3-2 loss to the Los Angeles Kings at Capital One Arena on December 19th. Uh, The lengthy break was due to, yes, the NHL's COVID-19 problem. In addition to the NHL's holiday break, and thus the Caps on Wednesday night got a number of players back while also still being without some key players. In terms of who was back for the Caps, Tom Wilson was back for the Caps. He returned from a four-game absence that was caused by an upper body injury that he suffered in a 4-2 loss to the Pittsburgh Penguins at Capital One Arena on December 10th. Evgeny Kuznetsov was back. He returned from a three-game absence that was caused by him being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. Nicholas Backstrom was back. He returned from a two-game absence that was caused by him being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. TJ Oshie was back. He returned from a one-game absence that was caused by him being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. However, uh, the Caps were without a number of players, especially defensemen. Defenseman Justin Schultz did not play due to being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. Defenseman Nick Jensen did not play due to being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. Defenseman Martin Fehervari did not play due to being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. Also, forward Daniel Sprong is in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol, and goaltender Vitek Vanacek is in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. The Caps also remain without forward Anthony Mantha. Uh, He still is out indefinitely due to shoulder surgery that he underwent on November 5th. And so because the Caps were without so many defensemen, we on Wednesday night had the NHL debut of defenseman Alex Alexiev. Alex Alexiev is a guy who the Caps took with the number 31 pick in the 2018 NHL draft. Alex Alexiev in his NHL debut on Wednesday night played for 10 minutes 35 seconds did commit a first period roughing penalty but how about this Alex Alexiev is the sixth Caps rookie to make his NHL debut this season and is the 10th rookie to play for the Caps this season. That tells you all that you need to know regarding the Caps being without so many players this season Due to injuries and the NHL's COVID 19 protocol, 10 rookies have played for the Caps this season. Also, we on Wednesday night had this the regular season debut of defenseman Michael Kempney. Yeah, remember him? The man who ESPN's Mike Greenberg once called Mikkel Kempney. Mikkel Kempney? Yes. Mikkel Kepney. Uh, he was back. Old Mikkel was back. The Caps on Monday recalled Mikkel from AHL affiliate Hershey. You know, we weren't sure we going to see Mikkel back at the NHL level with the Caps. His stock has gone down a lot over the last few years, but Michael Kepney was back with the Caps on Wednesday night. This was head coach Peter Laviolette during his postgame press conference on how his team did defensively, given all of the absences in the defense corps.
5: Uh, defensively I thought we were really good I, mean, I don't think we gave up a half a dozen chances and so to have those guys jump in there Kemp's come back up here and log some minutes he did a really good job um, Matty eye is you know he's 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 just steady. He's physical. He's steady. He moves a puck. And um, I thought Alexia did a good job in his first game. And so, again, we had guys jumping in for their first game. And, um, you know, they contributed in, in a positive way. So I thought the defense, I thought those three players that jumped in did a really good job. And defensively, I thought our team did a good job.
1: Yeah, Matty I is Matt Irwin. And so we had this game between the Caps and the Predators on Wednesday night. And the game was nuts. The Caps and the Predators combined for 19 penalties, including 14 minors. The Caps had 37 shots on goal to the Predators, 20. But the Caps actually lost the puck possession battle. Uh, per natural stat trick, the Caps had just 35 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Predators, 38. Uh, the Caps did go 4 or 4 on the penalty kill. But the Caps went 0 of 6 on the power play. The Caps power play is really bad this season. The Caps are 30th out of 32 NHL teams in power play efficiency this season at just 14.6%. Now, yes, the Caps have had so many players coming and going, but still 30th out of 32 NHL teams. That's not good. Uh, Peter Laviolette during his postgame press conference on the power play.
5: When I go back and when we go back and look at the chances tonight there's going to be there's going to be 15 scoring chances on the power play and so these these will drop at some point they'll go and you know for the to generate 15 for a group that's been kind of tattered by whatever we've been dealing with for to get 15 chances I mean it would have been great to get a goal or two goals on the power play it didn't happen. Sometimes you got to look at whether or not you're getting in the zone, whether or not you're creating quality chances. And tonight we did, and it didn't drop. We'll continue to work at it and try to get better.
1: Yeah, so the Caps went 0 of 6 on the power play on Wednesday night, but the Caps did get a special teams goal. Evgeny Kuznetsov, a big, tie breaking, short-handed goal, 14 24 into the third period. Great job by Kuzi. Uh, great job by defenseman John Carlson. Big night for Carly. Uh, He had a first-period even strength goal, three assists, and a game-high five shots on goal. Uh, Carlson's four points tied, a career-high. John Carlson now is third among NHL defensemen in points this season with 30, seven goals and 23 assists. Alex Ovechkin had another assist. He had a secondary assist and a game-high 12-shot attempts. Ovechkin now tied for third in the NHL in assists this season with 26. Ilya Samsonov uh, was the Caps' starting goaltender. He faced just 20 shots on goal, uh, made 17 saves. So not a great night for Samsonov. And he again struggled with the high danger shots. Samsonov, per natural stat trick, stopped just three of the six high danger shots on goal that he faced. But the Caps won. And next up for the Caps is a game on New Year's Eve. The Caps will be at the Detroit Red Wings, Friday night at 7.30. all right that will do it for you and me for now keep the feedback coming you can tweet me at Al Galdi. you can email me the algaldi podcast at yahoo.com Friday show episode 219. Will be a Washington football team pregame show installment of the pod for six and nine Washington's game against the eight and seven Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field Sunday afternoon at one. We expect to hear from Scott Turner and Jack Del Rio on Thursday via post practice Zoom press conferences. Uh would be the first time in a few weeks that we've heard from Scott and Jack, so we'll hopefully be getting into that on Friday's show. I also, on Friday's show, will have for you my rhyming keys. For a Washington win, even though you could argue I should be doing rhyming keys for a Washington loss since Washington may be better off losing this game than winning this game. Uh, But anyway, uh, also on Friday's show, I'll post game the Wizards, who will host the Cleveland Cavaliers Thursday night at seven. And I'll post game Maryland basketball, which will host Brown Thursday night at seven. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. Make you mom, Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer.